Well, I would draw your attention back. It's been a while. Uh, was gone for several weeks. Didn't, uh, didn't like to be gone, but I'll draw your attention back to uh, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And we're going to read uh, once again the first 14 verses, uh, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Get this started here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning and we bow to your sovereignty. We bow to your holiness. We bow to your mercy, to your grace, to your love. Lord, we ask that you would just Uh, Press upon our hearts this morning this great gift that we've been given in salvation, this great gift of grace whereby we might have peace with God our Father. Lord, draw us close to you this morning. May we feel the presence of the Holy Spirit as he is here with us. Lord, may our hearts be open to your truth. May you make us receptive to your word here this morning. Lord, bless it. Bless your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to think about something before we dig into our text here in Ephesians, and I think that this will become clear as we, as we go further in this, but I want you to picture or at least ponder a little bit this morning for a moment the best gift you've ever received. If you can call that to your mind, the best gift you've ever received. Maybe it was something you never asked for, 
because you didn't even know you had a need for it. Or maybe it's something that was given to you long ago, maybe something that was given to you even before you were born. I've often thought about what an amazing thing it would be if, and, and I, I would like to think about this deeply throughout my life, uh, about those who will come after us. There are people who will come after us and from us that we don't yet know. And some that we will never have the opportunity to know because of the frailty of human flesh. And if our Lord tarries, and he tarries long, there may be a long line of people that come after us. What would it mean to receive something from an ancestor who never knew you? Think about that. What would it mean? Maybe a letter addressed to my great-great-grandkids. Something from me, something from my wife, to those of our descendants that we will never have the opportunity in this life to meet. Thought about what an amazing thing it would be to receive from an ancestor a copy of the Bible. Purchased for me and maybe presented from my parents to me at some birthday, some milestone. I have ideas about these things in the future, but my finite mind can only guess at those in the future who would even need such a thing. I can't truly see the reality of the need. I can't truly see the number of the need. It's not within my ability because I'm not omniscient. I don't have the ability to understand or even to make these things come about as I would possibly plan them. Even more, what if it was something that had been preserved and passed down through the generations that wasn't actually available to me? I think of an instance recently, um, my wife and our daughter Beth, uh, we were blessed to do a little bit of traveling, traveling recently. We went out with Beth to, to her place of employment, uh, where she, she works remote most of the time, but her place of employment in New Hampshire. And we had the opportunity to go and visit some areas where our land, ancestors landed and made a home for themselves when they got off of the Mayflower. Uh, one of these passengers is my 10th great-grandfather. Uh, and he brought with him two of, I think, the, the five known Bibles that came over on the Mayflower. He had possession of two of those. One of those was a King James Bible that was printed in 1620 right before they left on their journey across the ocean. I can't think of any worldly possession that I would rather have than that Bible. It's huge, but I would love to possess it. Well, we walked into a museum here recently, and there underneath this thick glass lay this Bible. 
And I could view it from several different angles. You know, I got down and I was looking at the bottom of the pages and I leaned over and I was looking at the binding and, you know, even looking at where I, I assume he had written in faded ink something on that Bible. And I have tried as I might to figure out what it was that was written and I can't quite make it out. But what I wanted was to take that Bible, to go in a corner somewhere and just soak it in, to hold it, to leaf through it, to read from it, to possess it, to, to, to experience it uh, in, in a real meaningful way other than just to put my eyes on it. But it was out of reach. It was out of reach. This is the case of our salvation if it had not been for the plan of Almighty God. Out of reach. If it had not been for the work of Christ, salvation would not be possible to you or I. In these first few verses of Ephesians here, Paul is displaying what one commentator called the crown jewels of the gospel. But he also said that these crown jewels are not locked up in the Tower of London. No, by God's grace in Christ, they are not out of reach. They are a permanent possession to be cherished to be experienced in a real and experimental way to have as our very own. In every way, this gift, these crown jewels are to be ours from God the Father through the work of God the Son and applied to us by the working of God the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn with me real quick, and I think we'll also see why uh, as we go through this. If we apply this to what we're thinking about here this morning, um, turn to John 5 with me. And we're going to quickly look at verse 1 through 8. And I believe we will see here something that this idea, this, this thought that we've been talking about, it, what, that, what that idea or what that thought represents. So John 5, 1 through 8. After this, now Jesus had just healed a, a, a man's son, a man's son who was dying, and he had gone to Christ and he had, he had begged of Christ to heal his son. And Jesus sent him on his way and some of the people, he said, go and your son will live. And, and he sent him on his way and some of this man's friends came out to meet him. And they said, your, your son's he's, he's being restored to health. And he asked when that was. And they told him what time it was that his son got better. And it was the, science, the time that Jesus said, go and your son will live. Power in the word of Christ. Power. Well, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, 
lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where, when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Here was something. Here was something that was out of this man's reach. A blessing, a healing, he could not acquire due to the condition of his infirmity. An invalid for 38 years who had no ability to put himself into that pool to be healed. But in due time, in due time, the time appointed by the Father, Christ came to this invalid and spoke to him words of life. Get up. Well, don't you see I can't, I can't rise up? I'm, I'm an invalid. My, I'm, I'm lame. My legs don't work. Take up your bed. But sir, don't you understand I have no strength? Don't, don't you understand? Walk. And at once, power was given, healing was given, and this man, who had been an invalid for 38 years, took up his bed and walked. What was impossible for this man to accomplish, Christ made happen. What was out of reach was given to him by God. What do you think this man's response might have been? Praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. In Luke 7, 22, we're told, And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind, you, you remember this, this where, the, where the setting of this was? John the Baptist had sent some of his followers to Jesus Christ to ask of him, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah or should we look for another? And Jesus told them, go back to him and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Do you see that each one of these things that he said, go back and tell John, each one of these is a gift of that which is most needed and is most unable to be provided by those who had the need. The restoring of sight, the crippled made to walk as we 
We saw in John 5, the leper who's unclean, putrid and rotting flesh made whole and made clean. Those who can't hear, given to hear the first words of Jesus Christ when he cured them of their deafness. The words of their healer calling to them. Can you imagine that being the first words you've ever heard? The dead raised from death, those who can't even take a breath, given the breath of life. And the poor who had nothing, no hope, no hope in this world, no ability to provide for themselves, no joy, no peace, and no way to get it, are given good news. Grace and peace, Paul says in verse 2. Grace and peace. Life from death, Light to see the path from darkness, freedom from the chains of infirmity, and a sweet sovereign voice from out of constant silence. Go tell John what you've seen and heard. This gift. Unspeakable gifts. Well, do you see here, if we turn back to Ephesians, do you see here why it is that Paul can say, Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy of praise. Our lips should echo in an endless repetition, Praise be to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless His most holy name. We will remember here what Paul has already shown us in the first two verses of Ephesians. Who are these that Paul is writing to under inspiration of the Holy Spirit? And if you haven't listened to this message, feel free to go back. I'm not going to go over a lot of time in, in detailing it, but, but they're saints. They're those who have, who have been set apart, made holy for God's purpose and for His glory. And, and where have these saints been placed? They've been placed by grace into peace with God the Father. They've been saved by grace. They've been given peace with the one who they had no peace with before their salvation. This peace of God naturally flows out of the gift of grace that has been bestowed upon them as those who are called to be saints. And we will now see, as we go further in Ephesians, Paul develop this in the following verses that we have here. And this is the case both individually and collectively as a body. We will eventually get to this in chapter 4 of Ephesians, the purpose of this salvation, the purpose of this calling, this work of grace, this great redemption and adoption that we're going to read about, it will lead to the unity of all those blessed saints. Blessed by grace from God, being joined together, fit together under the head, Jesus Christ of the body. It's the church. That's where we're going with this. What flows from this realization of what has been done on our behalf 
by God the Father, purchased by God the Son, and applied by God the Holy Spirit, is an outpouring of thanks, thanksgiving, gratitude, and of love for the one who has experienced this in their life. Paul begins here in verse 3 with a doxology, a, a hymn of praise, if you will. And in the original language, I believe that this is in excess, 3 through 14, in excess of 200 words without any punctuation at all. This is one giant run-on sentence, which would drive an English teacher absolutely nuts. <laughs> but, but he gets started praising the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he just can't stop. He wants all of those who read this epistle, all of his brothers and sisters in Christ, all of these saints in Ephesus and us to be overcome with a sense of profound and absolute gratitude for that which God has provided to his people. Paul understands that the greatest need for, for his, his listeners, for his hearers, for those who will read this, and for us as we sojourn in this wilderness that we live in is to understand and to be overcome, to be held captivated by the gospel of our salvation, by the good news of what God has done for us. It's good news to the poor and afflicted. The gospel of hope, the gospel of peace, the gospel of our salvation. And Paul here understands, and I think, it's, I, I think some translations may bear this out a little bit better, but Paul understands that, that he cannot bless God in the same way that God blesses us. Sproul rightly states, R.C. Sproul, that some translations render this praise be to God and, Father, and the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To differentiate the differences in these blessings between how God blesses us and how we may say blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When God blesses, he makes saints. He bestows a certain favor upon them that they do not deserve. When they or when we bless God, it is an act of praise and adoration that he most richly deserves. Do you see the difference? And why some translations may render this praise be to God instead of Blessed be the God. Because we can't bless God in the same way that he blesses us. He blesses, he blesses us who are ill-deserving. And when we offer praise and adoration to him, when we offer blessings to him, it's because it's everything that he deserves. And more so. Well, who is this God? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God the Father who has given to the Son a people to save. He's given them a people. He chose a people and gave them to 
our Savior. We will look at this more, and I, and I pray uh, we'll, get, we'll get to see the, the beauty of the roles given and accomplished by each person of the Trinity. The three persons, one God, three persons. One God in planning, accomplishing, and perfecting our eternal salvation, but three distinct roles within that. One who chose and gave them to the Son. The Son who purchased redemption with the price of His own blood and the Holy Spirit who applies that purchase to our lives. Chosen by God the Father, accomplished by God the Son, and applied by the Holy Spirit. Well, what are these blessings to be found? These blessings that he says that he's, this, that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Well, where are these blessings to be found? They're to be found in Christ Jesus. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. All that we are blessed, all that we receive is from Christ. He, just think about some of the blessings we receive as being united to Christ. He's the bread of life. He is that. He himself sustains us. John 6, if you want to turn there, you can, but John 6, 32 through 35 if you want to write it down and go back and look at it, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread of heaven. See, this comes from the Father through Jesus Christ. Listen, for the bread of God is he who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, disciples just like we do have so much trouble understanding sometimes. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. A blessing, a spiritual blessing from God in Christ. Well, what else? He's the way, the truth, and the life, is he not? John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Christ is about to go away. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die. He's about to be resurrected, and he's about to ascend to the Father. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And then Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And how does Jesus respond? Jesus said to him, I am the way. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God gave them to his Son, and it's in him that we go to the Father. Well, he's the shepherd that leads us. Another spiritual blessing. We don't walk around aimlessly. We no longer have to wander through the wilderness. He's the way. He's, he leads us. He leads us as a shepherd. He leads us. John 10, 3-4. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all, he, all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. He leads us. Further on in that chapter of John 10, he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Starting in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is, this is how we receive the blessings of God, the spiritual blessings. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Christ says. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up this charge. Listen, this charge I have received from my Father. Keep that in mind as we go further into Ephesians. This plan of the Father to give a people to His Son. And His Son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, to become flesh. To dwell on this earth and to redeem the people that the Father gave me. This is the charge that He received from His Father and perfectly accomplished according to the plan of God the Father. Well, through Him we also have union with Him. Through the union with Him we have life. Romans 6, 3-4 Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What great spiritual blessings we receive from God the Father in Jesus Christ. 
Well, do you desire these spiritual blessings? There's only one place to find these. You will never find them in what you get from the world. You'll never do it. You'll never find true blessings in riches, in material possessions, in fame, or in power. You will find them, as Paul states here in this doxology, this hymn of praise, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You will never find a spiritual blessing apart from Christ. Listen to me now. I want to say this again. You will never find, never find a spiritual blessing apart from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mark it down. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Well, why is it every spiritual blessing? That's a pretty definite word here, is it not? Every spiritual blessing? Because when you're in Christ, you get it all. He's given us all things in Christ. Let me, and, I, and I've told some of you this before, uh, by way of analogy for this. Um, and this is, not a, this is not a true story. This is, a, this is a, uh, a fictional story. But it's a good way of understanding what it means to have every spiritual blessing. And it's been a while since I've heard this myself, so I may not get it 100% right. But it's just a way of illustrating this. But the story goes that <clears throat> there was a man and his son who were very close. Um, the man had long ago lost his wife, and he had but one son. And they were very close, and they were wealthy. And they amassed a, a great collection of priceless art. And, and they took a lot of joy in this art, and they had it all over their house. Priceless art, wonderful works from, from the greatest painters of history. Spent a lot of time amassing this. But the time came that there was a war and the son ended up having to go to war. And the son ended up perishing in the war, dying in the fighting. And it, it grieved the dad. This was not only his son, this was his best friend and one with whom he shared this passion for collecting these great works of art. Well, one day a man who had fought with his with this man's fallen son, knocked on the door and introduced himself to the father. And he and this man's son had grown close as battlefield companions. And he knew of this son's great love for art and the collection that the father and, and this son had spent so much time and money acquiring. Well, this battlefield companion of the son had painted a portrait of the son, and he wanted to give that to the father. And this father cherished this above all of his great art. This portrait of his son. And this was not a great portrait. This man was not an artist. He was not a Michelangelo or a Picasso or a, you know, any of these great uh, art artists. But it was a picture of his son. And so he removed this one priceless work of art and put that portrait of his son up there. Well, the day eventually came when this man died and he had no other family that would inherit these works of art or the possessions that he had. And so an auction service was called in to sell 
all of his possessions. Well, the day came, uh, and, and all these art collectors from all over the world came to this place to, to bid on these priceless works of art. Instructions were given, and everyone was on the edge of their seats to begin the auction. The auctioneer brought out the first item, and everybody was so eager to see what the first thing that they would auction off was, and it was the portrait of his son created by this battlefield companion. Well, the auctioneer started, and he said, let's start the bidding at 500. And there was silence. Well, 400, you know, 250, silence, nothing. And finally, okay, what will someone pay for this? This is our first item. And there in the back was the gardener who had served both the father and the son for years, and he reached into his pocket, and all he had was pocket change. But no one else spoke up, and he finally raised his hand and said, All I've got is this pocket change, but I would gladly pay that for the portrait of my former master's son. The auctioneer said, Sold to the gardener, and then the auctioneer abruptly called out that the auction was closed. It's done. Anger and dismay from all the collectors. Well, what do you mean? There's all these priceless works of art here. All these great things that we still have to bid on, we still have to buy. And the auctioneer said, no, I was given instructions by the father, by the man who collected these, that whoever got the son got everything. That's the value that he had in his son. Well, as a way of illustration... God the Father values inestimably his sac- the sacrifice of his son. When you have the son, you have everything. Paul says every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. This is what it means that we have been blessed in Christ. Romans 8 We've, we've shared this passage before many times, but Romans 8, 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now listen to what he says. He, God the Father, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things all things who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure 
that neither life, death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor thing pre- things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Spiritual blessings in Christ. Well, where do these blessings come from? Where are they stored? From where do they issue forth? Paul tells us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Well, what's intended by this? Calvin states that what is expressed here is the superiority of that grace with which that we receive through Christ. The happiness, the joy which it bestows is not in this world, but in heaven and everlasting life. He then ties this to 1 Timothy 4.8, where it says in Paul, this is once again Paul who says to Timothy, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. We have what is meant, I believe, by this heavenly places. We have the, co- the hope of that which is to come even here. We are provided for in our spiritual needs from the storehouse of grace in the heavenly places. That realm which we can't yet touch, we can't yet see with our eyes, we can't yet feel, but yet... That, that is the source of all of our spiritual blessings that we even experience here. The joy of our salvation, the hope of eternal life, the communion of the saints, the blessings of our salvation in Christ who is seated in the heavenly places. It's this concept of already not yet. We are already receiving these blessings through union with Christ even here. Blessed with hope, blessed with consolation and difficulties, comfort and peace in trials and tribulations, but awaiting still the not yet. That time in which all things will be completed and we are no longer living in between two worlds. Already seated, we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ. He's there now interceding for us. Yet in this world as strangers and sojourners, in this wilderness, we're citizens of this world, but we're more fully citizens of that world which we have yet to be brought into in full realization. And it's awaiting that full inheritance by way of adoption, which we'll read about later in this passage in Ephesians. I want to remind you here where Paul is when he writes this. Paul isn't on some mountaintop cathedral. He's not in some palace. He's in prison when he writes this. He's in prison, most likely in Rome, Possibly house arrest, but he's chained 24-7 to a Roman soldier. 
can't move, can't eat, can't sleep without these chains. Yet he doesn't lead with this when he writes this epistle to the Ephesians. Instead, he says, praise be to God. Blessed be the God. Praise him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. He is in effect saying, don't you see, those of you in Ephesus, don't you see, brothers and sisters, don't you get it? I'm about to tell you, I'm about to to reveal to you where our greatest spiritual blessings come from and the knowledge of this great gift, the source of this gift, the giver, the purchaser, and the supplier of this great gift sustains me, upholds me, gives me joy, gives me peace in whatever situation I find myself in, even if I'm chained and in prison. Nothing can separate me from this salvation. Not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, nothing now, nothing to come, no power, no height, no depth, nothing in creation can separate me from this love. I may be in prison, but I have joy. I have peace with God. We later read in this chapter, if you remember, Paul says that we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He says in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, I already have possession of it. Because of the seal of the Holy Spirit that is upon us as God's children, those who are called to be saints, God the Spirit Himself is the guarantee of our salvation, the guarantee of our inheritance that will one day fully be realized. It's not me, it's not man but God himself who is given to us as surety of these blessings. And there's more to come. There is coming a time, one day, the glory is going to be fully revealed. We will see him as he is and we will be like him. Glorified. Free from sin free from the entanglements of this world, one day we will be glorified and the spiritual blessings in Christ will be fully realized and we will worship in purity, in truth, eternally. Eternally. This is how Paul can sit in prison, chained, and cry out in a hymn of praise to God. You will not find this ability outside of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. I would love to go on this morning and look further at the source of this praise.
this praise for God that Paul reveals to us through the next few verses in his doxology, this, this praise that he has from his, from his pen uh, to God. But we'll leave it here this morning and come back uh, to look at it next time. But as we wrap up, let me ask you this morning if you have an art heart that overflows with praise like this. I have difficulty with this. I'll be the first to admit. Um, I find difficulty in this. Uh, it's been a constant struggle in my life uh, to find contentment in all those areas where I find myself. Whether it be work or trials or or tribulations that we go through uh, in dealing with the things of this world and others. Uh, so if you're like me, I need to read and read and reread verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians. This great grace, this great gift of salvation is a result of something that took place before the foundation of the world. Just ponder that for a moment. That if you are His, if you are one of these saints, this work was planned before the foundation of the world. God the Father chose a people, gave them to God the Son, that we should be, according to Paul here, holy and blameless before Him in love. Before the foundation of the world, He predestined us to adoption as sons. And I can't wait to get into what that means. And it's according to the purpose of His will. This had nothing to do with us. It's not our will. It's not our plan. It's not our merit. This is start to finish 100% totally of God. This great gift, this salvation, think back to what we pictured earlier was something that was out of our reach. We are members of the fallen race of Adam. We are inheritors by nature of sin and death. And you are, you and I, every single one of us, are confirmed to be a member of that each and every time we enter into temptation and sin. Every time. Yet God, as Paul puts it later in Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according or following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, all of us who are saints, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by children nature of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Christian, brothers and sisters, make this your every thought. Hold this thought captive in your mind and in your heart. Make it your waking thought, your constant thought, and your last thought before you go to bed at night. And then we might, maybe we, could have a heart like Paul here, overflowing from our hearts at doxology, a hymn of praise. That we were, were so immersed in praise that our whole lives would be a hymn of praise to our God and Father by the work of Christ and applied by the Holy Spirit. That we might be so overflowing that we, like Paul, can't even catch a breath as we extol the praises of God the Father. In thanksgiving for the work that He's done and the way of salvation that we're going to deal with shortly and the way of salvation that He promised and planned before time began. As we delve further into Ephesians, we will continue to see the effects of this in our individual lives and the life of the church and how the church then becomes salt and light to the world and how we can minister to others and fight the fate of faith against a host of spiritual enemies and the forces of evil in this world. If you have not received this great gift, let me urge you to repent of your sins, turn to Christ. If you've begun to feel the weight of your sin and the burden of your need for deliverance, then I pray that He has begun a good work in you. And I exhort you to search out Ephesians 2 in the first few chapters of Romans. See your desperate need. Don't look at those around you. Compare yourselves to them. Compare yourself to God Almighty and His holiness. And then you'll repent and you'll abhor yourself in dust and ashes. Woe is me. I'm undone. My man of unclean lips, Isaiah said, I dwell in the midst of a people who are just like me. Compare yourself to the spotless one, the holy one, and see your need. Look to Christ. Look to His provision. Turn from the world and may you get a glimpse and be led to the same praise that Paul gives us here in Ephesians 1, 3-14. Praise and adoration that the Father would choose of His own good pleasure to do what we read about earlier in our congregational reading from Scripture from Hosea, that He will have mercy on no mercy. If you haven't read that recently, read Hosea. And the picture that's lived out in the life of the prophet Hosea 
and his marriage and his children. God will have mercy on no mercy and will say to not my people, you are my people. It's no wonder we have in our hymnal the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Read 3 through 14 and you will see the work of the triune God in these few verses. An amazing work. Now let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask that, Lord, you would give us hearts that are overflowing with praise for you, for your work, for that plan which was laid before the foundation of the earth, for placing a people in Christ, giving them to him, that he might make them his own possession, that he might redeem them, from the curse of the, 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 the fall. That he might take upon himself the sins of these people. And that might, he might clothe them in the robe of his own righteousness. That they might be acceptable before you. That they might be reconciled to you. Lord, we thank you that Christ was a satisfaction for this, this penalty, this due that was, this, this that was owed to you from our sins. We thank you for accomplishing that for us. If it wasn't for that, we would have no hope. Be lost. Lord, my, may we just have this as our constant thought that, that what you've done for us is nothing to do with us and is, is totally your plan, totally your work of your own will, and for your own glory. Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.